a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So we're spending these uh, few weeks at the beginning of term uh, with a series we've called Church, God's Way. And we're looking at what it means to, uh, to build a church in the 21st century uh, in a city such as Derby. We're looking at what the Bible has to say and what it means for us now and what are some of the things that are important to us. So things like worship being central to all that we do. Things like giving God good time to, to worship Him, to meet with Him. Not just in meetings like this morning, but in our lives and engaging with Him. Things like um, caring for one another, loving one another. Things like uh, look, building community, as we talked about last week. And then I want to go on this morning and continue this series. But let me start by asking you a question. There's not time to get all of you to answer this, but just think of an answer if you would, in your head. So a couple of these questions. Firstly, I wonder what is the main reason that you're part of Jubilee Church? I wonder how you'd answer that one. Or perhaps another question might be, I, I know the, for some of you the answer to that would be my cooking, which some of you will experience if you come to the Smile Meal a little later. But another question might be, what's the main reason that Jubilee Church exists? Why is Jubilee here? Well, the reason that we started Jubilee some years ago was in order that we might reach people who are far from God. It was in order that we might run things like Alpha, as we've talked about this evening, uh, this morning even. That we might have, you know, 19 or so guests signed up for a course to find out more about the God who loves them. You see, one of the reasons, if not the reason, that we started Jubilee was that we might meet people who are far from God and be able to communicate the good news of the gospel to them. Now, if you read through the gospel, so if you, if you picked up your Bible and read through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, if you looked at what Jesus went about doing, you'll find time and time again that his message, Jesus' message, was that the kingdom of God was near. That's what he, he talked about lots. The kingdom of God is, is near, he would say. And the kingdom of God is God's rule and his reign. And this would seem to be Jesus' message. He talked about it a lot, that the kingdom of God was coming and um, that he was here not only to talk about it, but to demonstrate it. And in seeing people healed and raised from the dead, the kingdom of God was demonstrated. And you see, the church, as we have now, it's like if you, if you were the outpost of that kingdom. So the kingdom of God is coming. You know, God's total rule and reign in the nations will happen when Jesus returns. Right now, Jesus came and the kingdom started, but it hasn't quite got to its fullness yet. So we're living sort of in the middle. There's a bit of a tension coming. But we can say you know, that we're in the kingdom of God now. God's rule and reign does exist in our lives, doesn't exist as much as we'd like to see it, perhaps around us. But the church, you see, is, is the outpost of that coming kingdom. It's here to talk about, not only to talk about, to demonstrate the rule and reign of God, the, the coming kingdom 
that Jesus talks about. And really the very reason that you are even here this morning is to do with our mission to reach out and to tell people about the good news of Jesus. Think about it for a moment. When you be, if you're a Christian here this morning, I guess many of you would be. Maybe not all, but I guess many would be. What's the reason that in that moment when you trusted in Jesus, why didn't God just take you to heaven there and then? You know, sometimes you think that would have been easier, actually. Now, why, why are you left here? Why didn't Jesus say, well, listen, now you've trusted in me, now that I'm your Lord and Saviour, then, well, you can, you can, you know, just in that moment, why didn't he take you into heaven just then? But you see, the reason that you're here, the reason that you're not taken to heaven when you become a Christian straight away is that you might talk about, speak of, live and demonstrate the kingdom of God and in doing so reach out to those who don't know about it yet. And so Jesus talked about this lot, the, the kingdom of God, and in, in doing so he was reaching people who wouldn't have described themselves as religious at all. He went to those who were far from God. But it wasn't that that motivated him. Something much deeper motivated Jesus. And you see, our reaching out our, if you want to call it evangelism, running alpha courses, telling people about Jesus, all of those sort of things, however you might describe them, they all start with something else. And it's that something else that I want to spend a few moments looking at this morning. So let's pray and then we'll open up God's word together. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for your presence. Lord God, we thank you that you are here. We thank you for your word that you've given us. And as we spend these moments opening up and unpacking it, I pray, Lord God, would you speak to us? Would you apply the truth of Scripture to our lives? Lord, help us to build the church your way. And would your kingdom come and rule and reign in our hearts? We ask it for Jesus' glory. Amen. Okay, so if you've got a Bible with you, perhaps you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. Let me give you some context as you're just turning to the passage or pressing some right buttons on your electronic device, whatever it might be. In Matthew 10, Jesus is about to send out the 12 disciples. So they've been with Jesus for a little while now. They've been following him. They've been watching him preach about the kingdom of God. They've been watching him demonstrate it and seeing people healed. And uh, maybe Jesus given, has given them warning. Maybe not. We're, we're not entirely sure from the, the passage. But he's just about to send them out on their first ministry trip on their own. So they've been with Jesus. They've watched him. And just round the corner is the time when Jesus is going to send them out on their first trip. See how they get on. But before that, at the end of Matthew chapter 9, we're told this, verse 35. It says that Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. So there's this phrase about preaching the good news of the kingdom. Once again, Jesus' message. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless 
like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, if you've ever talked from Scripture or you've ever preached, you'll know that in that passage you could preach all sorts of sermons. You could, you could take it in a number of directions. You could do a whole uh, sermon or maybe even series about the harvest being plentiful. You, you could look at um, how Jesus sends out workers into the harvest field. and He's about to do that in Matthew chapter 10. You, we could look at you know, how, how Jesus sends us and how he is with us when he does that. We could look at Jesus preaching the good news of the kingdom and demonstrating it in healing disease and sickness. But the verse I want to pick out this morning is this one, verse 36. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. You see, it's this that motivates Jesus. It's this that, that stirs him. Time and again, we come across this phrase about Jesus having compassion. And Jesus had compassion and acted on it. I guess all of us have had compassion on different situations at different times, haven't we? Maybe you've seen a television appeal for a famine in a far-off country. And you can imagine it now, can't you? You see the picture of a starving child, you know, the mother trying to feed her kids, and your heart is moved. And it's those sort of images that have stirred people over the years to run all sorts of events and campaigns that we may have been involved in or even given to. But I wonder how often do we have our heart moved with compassion, but very quickly we flip the channel and nothing happens. It's easy for us to have compassion about something. It's much harder than to do something about it. But for Jesus, you see, he had compassion on people. He saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, as he describes it. And then he actually did something about it. And it wasn't just people's physical needs that Jesus saw. You know, he could see them hungry. You can think of the time where Jesus had a crowd of you know, 5,000 or so, probably a lot more, and he saw that they were hungry and needed feeding, and he was able to do that. So he saw people's physical need, but much more than that, he saw people's need of him and had compassion on them. I wonder this morning, do you see people's need of Jesus? If you were to go out from this morning's meeting perhaps head down to Westfield or over to uh, Mark Eaton Park, if it was sunny, or somewhere else where there were lots of people. I wonder, is your heart moved with compassion? Or you, do you just see a whole bunch of people, a whole mass of people? For Jesus, you see, he saw people's need of him, and it gripped him. I wonder, does it grip you? You see, any action, and we'll talk about some action in a second, but any action or evangelism, or reaching out, however we might describe it, any loving those who don't know Jesus yet, well, that should come out of a heart that is moved by compassion. Because, friend, it's important, if it, if it doesn't, if we just hear Kev talk about Alpha and go, oh, yeah, Alpha, oh, you know what, I suppose I should bring my neighbour, I guess I really should invite my friend, you know, and we think, oh, yeah, I guess I should do that. You see, if we're not careful, 
we can respond to things like that thinking, oh, I ought to. Oh, I, I, I suppose I should. And we're motivated almost by guilt <laughs> rather than what motivated Jesus, which was compassion. I wonder, have you got compassion for those who are far from God? You see, when Jesus saw a crowd, and let's face it, Jesus saw a lot of crowds. You know, wherever he went, there were crowds and crowds of people. When he saw a crowd, he didn't just see this sort of teeming mass of humanity that was following him and not giving him any space. He saw individuals. He saw people. He saw needs. He saw people who needed him. I wonder, what do you see when you, when you see a crowd? Jesus saw individuals who were far from him. He saw situations that, on the face of it, if you looked at somebody, it all looked good. And they were happy and smiling on the outside, yet inside they were crying. Lives were broken. And he saw that. And he saw through the veneer that so often we, all of us, put on our lives and saw through to what was going on in people's hearts. Jesus saw a crowd. He, he didn't just see a crowd, he saw individuals. And he had compassion on them. I wonder, is that true for you? Are you motivated by compassion? It's easy, isn't it? We can look at our, our friends or those we know and think, oh, they've got it all together. It, it's, it's all good. And, you know, and, and we're not moved by compassion. Sarah and I have been struck recently, the number of people that we've spoken to, not necessarily here, but in a variety of situations, and a number of people we've spoken to who are married, and on the face of it, everything looks good. You look at them and think, oh, they've, they've got it all together. You know, it's all fine. Yet for them, what we're, we're discovering is that actually behind that, behind that facade, be, behind the veneer that we so easily put on, actually things aren't so great. And a number of people we've been speaking to, to recently uh, found that the marriages are just really struggling. And on the outside, it all looks good, yet on the inside, maybe nobody else knows. But actually, it, it's tough. You never guess it, but inside things are falling apart. I, I was preparing this message this week, and I was thinking about some conversations we'd had, and thought, I'll, I'll use that illustration, I'll talk about that how we can seemingly have it together on the outside, yet inside things aren't going so well. And just as, as I was almost making the notes and writing it down, I just felt the Holy Spirit speak to me. So now that's more than just a story. Maybe even this morning there are people here who that describes in your marriage. And on the outside, it all looks great. And people would think, oh, they've really got it together. Yet when you're at home and the door is shut and nobody else is around, no one else knows you, actually things are not so good. I just feel this morning, if that describes you, then God wants to meet you. Why? Because Jesus has compassion. And he loves you. He wants to come to you in your situation. John brought the word earlier about the storms of life. Maybe that describes you in your marriage right now. A stormy time, perhaps. Then... I just feel Jesus wants to come to you this morning. We'll, we'll give some time to praying at the end. Maybe that describes you. I don't know. I just felt that the Holy Spirit wanted to underline that a little. 
But to get back to our theme, you see, compassion is a common theme in the Gospels. We don't have time to look at all the verses, but let me read a few to you. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That Matthew 9, we've read it already. Matthew 14, when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them. Matthew 15, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. Matthew 20, Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes and they, they received their sight. Mark 1, Jesus was filled with compassion and, and so the list goes on. Do you get the idea yet? Jesus saw people, had compassion on them and their situations. He even told a story in Matthew 15 about a, a son who rebelled against his father took his inheritance and ran away, wasted it and spent it all. And when he came back, the father had compassion on his son. And we know from the story that Jesus tells that parable in, in Luke 15 that the, the father represents God the father having compassion on those who are lost. And time and again we get this theme of compassion right throughout the Gospels. Why? Because Jesus sees the individual. And he sees people that matter to him. Bill Hybels has this phrase, he says, lost people matter to God. And if they matter to him, then they should matter to us as well. And do you believe that? Do you really believe it? Because if you do, then it actually changes some things. It changes your priorities. Because suddenly you're seeing people not as a crowd, not even as individuals, but you're seeing people who are far from God and who have a need for him. And so you start to think, I wonder about how I could help bridge that gap and introduce them to Jesus. Because if you have compassion for people, you start to think like that. You see, Jubilee only exists because lost people matter to God. That's why we're here, friends. We started because we wanted to love people who are far from Jesus and introduce them to him. That's how we started, and friends, that's how we're going to keep going as well. Now, yes, we want to do some other things along the way, and loving one another is important, and certainly loving God is foundational. But it's so that we might love people who don't know Jesus yet and reach out to them. You see, reaching out or evangelism, whatever you might call it, it's not about a program, it's about a lifestyle. It's not about this program or, or that event or, or, or this course even, but actually it's about our lifestyle. It's about what we do with the time that Jesus has given to us. Sometimes people, when you talk about things like this, say, oh yeah, but you know, the church will be more compassionate to one another and we should you know, spend more time loving one another more and that, that, that's more important rather than reaching out. Well, listen, pastoral care, as we talk about it sometimes, loving one another, isn't an end in itself. Actually, pastoral care, loving one another in the church, loving one another in your small group, in your life group, whatever context it might be, is not an end in itself. You see, we're loving one another on a journey, if you like. Now, you are repaired, you are grown up, you are cared for in order that you might fulfill what God has got for you. And part of that is reaching out and loving those who don't know Jesus yet. Church is like a battlefield hospital. You know, if you're wounded, then you're cared for, you're loved, you're treated, you're repaired, put back together in order that what? You can stay there? No, in order that you can then get back in the battle. 
You know, think about a, a soldier in an army. You know, if he's injured, he doesn't just go to the battlefield hospital and think, well, I'm here now, I'll just stay here. The whole purpose of it being even existing is in order that he can be repaired, cared for, put back together and get back in the battle. That's what a church is like. It's not like a luxury spa hotel. Some of you, th- some of you are thinking, yeah, I know. But it's not. You know, a luxury spa hotel, you go for a day or a weekend just to cheer and relax and be pampered and loved and have massages and hot coals poured on it. Apparently. A church isn't a luxury spa hotel where you just go to relax and are pampered. You don't find that in the, in the New Testament. It's more like a battlefield hospital repairing people in order that we might get back in the battle. It's like a footballer, I guess, who may injure himself on the ga- in the game. And you see what happens to the player injures himself. And the physio runs on, doesn't he? You know, completely sponge in hand. I'm not quite sure what the deal with the sponge is. But anyway, sponge in. You never find ambulance paramedics with a sponge, do you? And they turn up in ambulance. I've got my sponge. It's all good. But football physios have a sponge. And they run onto the pitch. What to do? Just to pamper the guy and love him and no, 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 to get him back in the game as quickly as possible. And if he's particularly badly injured, then you know you go find the guys with the stretchers running on, don't you? And you know he's, he's put on his stretcher and he's taken off for what purpose? In order that he might be, you know, repaired, put back together again, so that he can get back in the game. That's what it's all about. The injury is dealt with, so he can get back on the pitch. I was reading an article that uh, Dave Holden wrote this week. He's uh, one of the leaders in New Frontiers. And he was talking about the church he, he leads in Sidcup in southeast London. And he said this. He says, as people join, we want them to feel that they're in a family they can genuinely, genuinely belong to. A church that's doing all it can to meet one another's needs, whilst at the same time continuing to make an impact on well, the wider community. They should see that we're not inward-looking or only concerned with our local parish, inverted commas, but working to play our part in seeking to bring the gospel to all nations. We are a word and spirit, grace-filled church with a focus on our local community, but we are also an increasingly evangelistic, outward-looking people on world mission. I thought, I like that quote. I couldn't write it better myself, so I'll nick it. But it's good, isn't it? He goes on. Sadly... Many churches in the UK struggle to catch this vision. The reason, I believe, is to do with their foundations. Many are built fundamentally on pastoral foundations. This means that the leaders of these churches see it as their duty to only care for their people, not necessarily to be released to go and reach new people. Members of this kind of church see having their needs met as the primary reason for being in the church. If this doesn't happen, then they become easily disappointed. They may well even leave and go and find another church in the hope they might do a better job. They may even object when this church starts to grow, realising that the more people there are, the less likely it is that the attention will be given to them. If, however, your church is built on apostolic and prophetic foundations, as described, for example, in Ephesians 2, your church has at its very root a passion to be sent and to send. In other words, we exist not only to meet the needs of our existing members, but to constantly desire to go and meet the needs of those who are not yet part of us. He finishes with this. 
Apostolically founded churches do not neglect to pastor people. They just do it in the right context, which is one of mission. We pastor people on the move and we equip them to go and reach others. Friends, that should describe us. Apostolically founded churches do not neglect to pastor people. They just do it in the right context, which is one of mission. We pastor people on the move and we equip them to go and reach others. So, having a heart of compassion for people who are far from God and destined to spend an eternity in hell if they don't respond to his love and grace should motivate us to action. Now, we don't have much time left this morning, but very quickly, having talked about this foundation of compassion, having talked about apostolically founded churches caring for people in the right way, which is one of mission and reaching out on the move, very quickly, let me give you four things that we can do practically. And the first one is this, number one, reaching out to visitors. Now, we talked about this last week in the the context of building community. So we have new people looking in virtually every week. I wonder, are we reaching out to those that God is sending us? If you're here this morning for the first time, thank you for coming. I'm thrilled you're here. I hope you're enjoying your morning with us. I'm trusting that God is stirring your heart and you'll be, be keen to look at being involved in all that he's doing here. I wonder what sort of experience do visitors have? We said last week, and I'll say it again, I want Jubilee to be the friendliest, most welcoming church in the city. And that can only happen if you and I are the friendliest, most welcoming people. (laughs) So it's on all of us to to do this, not just the welcome team, but rather the onus is on all of us to make uh, a difference and to help people as they visit us, maybe for the first time. So the first thing is reaching out to visitors. The second thing is reaching out to those that you know. I wonder, do you know anyone who is far from God? Have you got any friends who don't know Jesus yet? Are you intentionally building relationships with those who don't know him yet? Or do you spend all your time with other Christians? You see, it is possible to live in a totally Christian bubble. You can read just Christian press. You could watch just Christian television. You could listen to just Christian radio. You could spend all your time seemingly in Christian meetings. Now, none of those things in and of themselves are bad. However, when you add them all together, it is possible to live in a totally, completely Christian subculture that has no contact, hardly, with anybody who doesn't know Jesus yet. Is that what you find Jesus doing? No. You find him going to where people are who don't know about the message of the kingdom yet. He didn't spend all his time with religious people He sought out those who were lost. He went to passes full of lost people, like the one that Matthew threw, in order that people could meet him and find out about the gods who love them. So what about you? The sad fact is that typically, the longer someone is a Christian, the less number of non-Christian friends they have. That's what research shows us so I wonder how many do you have are you being intentional being proactive 
looking to build relationships with those who don't know Jesus yet. It's easy to work in the same office as someone, but not really have any relationship of any description. It's easy to live next door to another family, yet not really know them or know what's going on in their lives. So I'm not just talking about knowing the name of someone who doesn't know Jesus yet, but are they your friends? Would they describe you as a friend to them? So if that describes you, then what can you do about it? Well, let me ask you a question. What do you like doing? What's your hobby? What interests you? And when you answer that question, why not do that with people who don't know Jesus yet? You know, maybe for you it's sports, or going to the gym, or running, knitting, computer games, cooking, cross-stitch, whatever it might be, whatever it is that floats your boat. You know, whatever interest or hobby you've got like that, why not consider doing that with people who don't know Jesus yet? In order that you might build some friendship, build some relationship, build a, a bridge of friendship that at some point you can talk to them about the gospel. Join a book club, a sports club, a neighborhood watch group, anything. For me, I realized some time ago that being a Christian minister is very easy for all my time to be consumed with uh, engaging with other Christians. You know, that's all I do, you know. I'm in meetings with other people in the church and other church leaders and other churches and other places. And I, I realized that much of my time, if not all of it, was engaging with other Christians. I thought, that's, that's nice but I'm not reaching anybody who doesn't know Jesus yet. So that's one of the reasons I became a school governor. It's not the only reason, but it was certainly a significant part of it. And so that's opened up for me a whole other world of lots of people, most of them who don't know Jesus yet. And over time, I'm looking to build some friendships and relationships with them and trusting that God may use that in his plans to see some of them come to know him. But you have to do something about it. It's a cost in time. There's a cost in energy. There's a cost in efforts. But friends, we've got to do it. You know, even at university, it's possible to surround your time just with other Christians and to just get you know, consumed in that bubble. I want to encourage you, don't. Don't do that, but look to be seeking to reach out, loving those who don't know Jesus yet. According to a recent study, 70% of people in Britain don't know their neighbour. We should not be in that 72%. We should be in the remaining 28%. Now, being salt and light, as Jesus describes, being salt requires proximity, doesn't it? You know, for salt to have an effect on a meal, you don't just put it down at the other end of the table. You have to sprinkle it on. You have to rub it in, even if you're one of those cooking experts. But it requires proximity. Friends, the same is true for us. If we're going to be salt and light with people, then it requires proximity. We need to get to know people well. Listen, let me just add to this very quickly. Never see people as a project. People can smell a rat a mile away. So don't see people as a project, but rather ask God to give you a love and compassion for people who don't know him yet. And look for opportunities to share your story, 
to share your testimony, what Jesus has done for you. Opportunities to share something of the gospel. Look for opportunities to pray for people. Be reaching out to those who you know. Be reaching out too to those you don't know. Maybe you know, you're filling out the car at the petrol station and you just feel the Holy Spirit prompt you to say something to the person on the other pump. Maybe you're at the supermarket. Maybe God wants you to reach out to those that you don't know, just to say a, a, a quick word or encouragement to. You're on the bus traveling somewhere. Just have an ear attuned to the Holy Spirit to see what God wants to do. So it isn't just your agenda, but maybe God wants to use you to reach out to those that you perhaps don't know. And number four, we'll look at this next week, is reaching out to the city. We're called to make a difference in our city. We're called to love it and be a blessing to it. And we'll unpack that a little bit more next Sunday. Perhaps the band can come up, please, if they're still here, some of them. Let me wrap up. Our reaching out doesn't start with programs. doesn't start with events. doesn't start with courses. It starts with compassion. And it has to be that way. You see, if not, then reaching out to people just becomes an item on your to-do list. You think, oh, Graham said I've got to reach out. Better write it down. It's something else to do. I've got to you know, feed the cat, go to work, sort out the kids, reach out to people. And it's just on a list somewhere. If it's like that, it becomes just a burden. But you feel allowed God to give you compassion for people and it comes out of your heart. It comes out of what Jesus wants to do in you. So I want to encourage you this morning. Ask God to give you a love for those who don't know Jesus yet. Be intentional about developing friendships with those who are far from God. Be intentional about reaching out. Be that salt and light wherever God has placed you. Whatever context you're in, wherever you spend most of your week, whether it be at home, whether it be with other parents, whether it be at school, university, at work, or in another setting, be that salt and light where God has placed you, that you might make a difference. Make reaching out part of your everyday life as we look to build the church God's way. Amen? Can we stand together? I'm going to pray as we close and then... Uh, so if we can worship together. <coughs> Lord Jesus, thank you that it was a compassion for people who are far from you that motivated you, that stirred your heart. And God, I want to pray this morning that will be true for us. That we wouldn't want to be reaching out running events or courses just as a to-do list item. But rather, all of these things, God, would be stirred by a heart of compassion for those who are far from you. So I want to pray right now, Lord, that you put in us that heart of compassion to reach out. Lord, we might really love those who are uh, far from you. Seek to build friendships with those who don't know you yet in order that we might introduce them to you. God, I want to pray that you would help us with these things. Even in these moments, Lord, would you do something in us, please? Give us that compassion in our hearts. Would it stir us, Lord? We ask it in Jesus' name.
out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.